Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. I'm joined by Ellie Mistal, who is remote today. Are you uh, you there? But Papa got a brand new microphone. You do have a new microphone. That's exciting. Like a real professional. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's gotten to a point where you're on enough things. You really needed to have kind of the, the grown-up microphone, you know? Tax write-off, baby. Well, that's that's true. And it should be. Yeah, there's no reason it wouldn't be. Uh, yeah, because this, uh, this isn't for podcast business. This is your, uh, your other stuff. It's just we're taking advantage of it here in the podcast Exactly. World. Excellent. Okay. So I, I think today's, uh, before we go into your complaints, today's show, I thought what we might do, because we've been having some fun with rapid fire things, I thought we would play a game of legal would you rather, ask some questions and have you kind of talk through what you would rather do between two hypothetical situations. So in the meantime, though, why don't you complain a little bit for us? No, uh, two men on a podcast playing Would You Rather, that sounds like a that sounds like a perfect thing to do. What yeah. could possibly go wrong? Yeah, right. Before we get to what's going to get us fired, can we talk about I believe it's Montana. I don't know. I am going to I'm I'm not going to lie. I sometimes get the various states between the Hudson River and the Sierra Nevadas confused. Um but I believe it was in Montana where a white man assaulted a 13-year-old because the 13-year-old did not take off his hat during the national anthem at a rodeo, and the the gentleman believed that the 13-year-old was disrespecting the national anthem. He was uh, arrested. He's been charged with assault because that's what he did, and his defense that just came out right before um, uh, we got on, the, got on air is that he believes that Trump, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, ordered him uh, to take this kind of action against people who were disrespecting the country. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I'm in a weird place where I both want the kind of maximum possible penalties against this man, and I want this particular defense to be thrown out of court on its ear, um, as I assume it will be. But by the other hand... He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Like, this, this is the kind of violent assault and attack that the president has essentially ordered his MAGA idiot followers to carry out. And while I agree that it does not, that his actions, Trump's actions, do not rise to the level of actual incitement under the First Amendment, that his actions are not criminal under our current understanding of criminal law. This is what Trump wants. And this man is not wrong to feel like the president wanted him to do what he did. Yeah, all right. I hear that, and there are very important issues there. I feel like there are nuanced issues, though, and that the way in which you cast it sounds a you know, not too dissimilar from the people who say violent video games cause shootings. Uh, this idea that mere exposure to some sort of a rhetoric is, you know, 
actually what causes it to happen. Now, I think there is a nuanced discussion to be had that there are a group of folks who were predisposed to sorts of nationalistic and you know, racist and most sexist and anti-LGBTQ violence that are utilizing the way in which it is being mainstreamed and treated as though that is acceptable as a reason to excuse in their own minds acting out upon that. But I think that's a that's a different discussion a little bit, and it, much like the violent video game discussion, that it is not playing Call of Duty that makes you go shoot people. If you are the sort of person who goes out, who wants to go out and shoot people, you might become, you might convince yourself that that's an excuse. But that's a that's a slightly different. It's it, it's in the same vein, but it's a nuanced distinction that I think is very important. I agree with you, and I'm glad that you're bringing up the nuance, but I want to bring up further nuance. I want to, I, I want to, I see your nuance and I answer it with more nuance. This is not Caesar Sayoc. This is not a guy who's saying that the general climate of Donald Trump made him act a fool, right? This is a guy who very specifically is saying that he felt ordered to beat this person up. Right. Right. And that's actually like a, that that's that's different than saying like he was merely exposed to the milieu. He is saying that he believes that he was given a directive from his commander in chief. Now, to be clear, he's fucking crazy. That's not right. what happened. The dog did not make you do it, son of Sam. Right. I'm not Yeah. And, I, and that's I am more absolutely like saying that this uh th- this defense needs to be thrown out on its ear. But the core of his point that Donald Trump is out there essentially directing people to commit violence against his enemies is not entirely wrong. It's interesting that you said you were bringing in more nuance because what you really did was take the nuance and then strip it all out and go back to an unnuanced statement. No, there are not commands being given out. There is, in fact, this milieu that they're being exposed to. And while the crazy person may believe that milieu is the dog, the son of Sam dog talking to him, what it really is is much more there is a guy who is on television and treated with the modicum of respect that one would grant and mainstream respect that one would grant somebody who has won an election, who is saying these sorts of things. And he is interpreting this guy is interpreting that as a reason to act out on his own problems. That does not exonerate or excuse the way in which the commander in chief is speaking because of the fact that it is inappropriate whether or not anyone ever listens to it. And if they are in any way responding to that culture, that is problematic too. But no, there is no order happening. There's no, it is not this kind of quid pro quo kind of a, kind of a setup that you're trying to turn it into, which, you know, while more direct is not nearly as troubling to me really than the more insidious ways in which it's actually operating. I think this man should sue Donald Trump for legal freeze as Donald Trump promised he'd pay on the campaign trail. Right. He promised to pay uh, on the campaign trail a different situation, a very specific situation, and that person involved in that one where he told somebody at a campaign rally to, you know, that he'd pay legal fees if they hit somebody. Uh, that person actually should very much get their legal fees covered. That's true. Uh, that is a more specific uh, claim than kind of a generalized uh, one that you're trying to make here. But, I mean, I, I hear that. That's what I got. Yeah. So cool. So what I thought we could run through, uh, we do a series here at 
Thinking Like a Lawyer, which if you're a longtime listener, you've probably run across a few seasons of. But we do the decision where we put forward from readers who ask us, hey, I've got a package at this law school, I've got a package at this law school, which law school should we go to? Uh, and but we wait, t- you know, Joe, but Joe, uh, yeah. what, if I, what if I missed uh, one of the decision episodes? Right. You should go back and listen to it. I, I'm, I'm sorry, that's a good point. I was assuming some basic understanding of how the internet and podcasts work on the part of our always intelligent listeners, which I assume they're super intelligent. Otherwise, I can't imagine why they would be listening to this show. But don't we have some service that would, you know, that helps people um, who occasionally miss important memos or calls or meetings? No, we don't and haven't for several episodes. So, um, <laughs> several. Are you serious? Yes. So we'll move past that now. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I love my life. Yeah. So, uh, so yes. Yeah, so we have done a show called The Decision, where we go through law schools and tell students who they should or should not uh, potentially go to. You know, just offering our advice. But we limit that to law schools, and I think there are more questions in the world that of law that. Reader, you know, readers and listeners might be interested in hearing our takes on. So I thought we'd do kind of a legally themed "Would You Rather" uh, to talk about some key issues. So to well, let, let's take one just so that you can uh, you can figure out what we're talking about here. I I have no idea what we're talking about. So so here we go. Would you rather litigation or transactional work? I mean, what kind of that that huh? So <laughs> so you chose to be a litigator and, you know, fairly immediately washed out of that. So perhaps now you have thoughts that maybe transactional work is another place that you should have been, or maybe you still believe in litigation work. But if you're talking to a perspective of someone entering into the profession about where they might want to go, what thoughts do you have there? Well, I would say first and foremost that if you want to be a litigator, the thing that you really have to love doing is researching and writing. And if you want to be a more transactional person, the thing you have to really love doing is talking and meeting with people, right? Like that's, and constructing uh, new things, right? Like I think that it's a little bit counterintuitive because um, people, when they think of litigation, they think like, oh, that's the, that's where I go if I want to like stand in a courtroom and argue and yell at people. And it's not really that, at least not at the big law level. It's not really that. It's a lot of kind of solitary um, time in front of Westlaw and time writing briefs, whereas it is the transactional attorneys that actually have much more of a kind of opportunity or, or, uh, or ability, really, to interact with clients, interact with opposing counsel, interact interact with uh, business people, get the deal done, understand what they're trying to do. And then they also have a more, I think, creative role where they are, you know, depending on what kind of transactional law you go into. My wife, for instance, is a structuring lawyer, Mm -hmm. where they really have more of a chance to kind of create documents full cloth with templates and obviously, you know, and, and that can get into some of your more, uh, people who are uh, kind of more creatively minded, I think, can actually find a lot of satisfaction in transactional work. Um, so it's a little bit of a counterintuitive inversion of like what you think these fields are uh, when you show up at law school. But but fundamentally, I mean, it comes down to what kind of person you are. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously there there's some of that. I think that things to consider. I I also went into litigation and did enjoy it, but things to consider are. Long-term career-wise, litigation is always litigation. Uh, there are some exceptions, but you're probably going to be practicing in a firm environment representing people in cases. It's not going to change as much. Whereas from transactional work, you have a few more options of where to go. You, there are more in-house opportunities with a transactional background. There, you know, there's more, you know, like kind of interesting startup-y thing kind of uh, opportunities if you go that way that don't necessarily appear to litigation. And I think that's that's a factor that isn't clear to a lot of people when they're going through and trying to decide where they wanted to go. But it's one definitely to consider that if you have long-term career plans, it sometimes is better to think about where there's more mobility because your career is probably not going to end up being the first place that you go. And so thinking that down the road, which is hard to do, but thinking down the road of how to keep as many doors open to you is certainly a factor. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but I, I also kind of feel, and this is, I'm trying to figure out the, the correct way of putting this, like, your career, whatever it is, and, and whatever speciality you go into, the key to making your career mobile is to develop an expertise in whatever the hell it is you're doing. And I don't just mean expertise in terms of litigation or transactional work. I mean expertise in terms of like the field that you are, you know, spending, you know, 8, 10, 12, 14, 18 hours a day yeah. um, working on, right? So like if you, you know, if you're a litigator, if you become, just because it's the top of mind, right? If you become like a big tobacco litigator, the goal is for you to have an expert in the tobacco, to become an expert in the tobacco industry. And that's what's going to allow you to have the mobility to go not just to your firm, but to, or switch sides and go to a plaintiff's firm or switch sides and go in. Like there's, that's what's going to give you the mobility, being an expert in the industry, uh, I think above and beyond everything else. Certainly expertise is valuable, but uh, I don't know. Like, it is exceptionally rare, and I don't, you know, not that I haven't seen it, but it's exceptionally rare that in-house opportunities are offered toward the litigation side of things. There are certainly large enough group industries where they want people to litigate in-house to save money. But by and large, the those opportunities are going to people with a background that, you know, in filing things and so on and so forth and managing uh, transactions. So... It, I think that's right, but yeah. by the same token, the you know the, it's a lot easier to get a government job, at least at an enforcement uh, agency, well, yes. um, if you are litigation, right? So if you certainly in, to, enforcement, that is true, right? A lot easier to end up in SEC enforcement if you start off in litigation, and sometimes those SEC enforcement people then go on to have very lucrative in-house careers. So it's a I view the other half of the SEC as where a lot of people end up having very lucrative careers. Not that. Not that litigation, litigators don't necessarily, but I certainly see a lot of the other half of the SEC where they're doing a lot more of the prophylactic shaping of rules and regulations as being folks who end up revolving door into companies and so on and so forth. But I figured out how I want to put it. Mm-hmm. The reason why I'm resisting this this framing, I guess, yeah. is that it feels to me like the more important thing to be considering – um, as you are a baby lawyer, is not so much what you do, but who you're doing it with, right? Do you like the Do you like the team 
in the department that you end up in? Do you like your firm? Do you like your partner, rabbi, mentor, person? Right? Do you are you are you getting opportunities to learn about the industry and that will eventually allow you to make rain within the industry? Like those are the things that I think have so much more of an impact on people's overall career satisfaction um, more than I do this law versus that law. Like you know, in broad strokes, sure there are going to be people who would have had would have loved being high paid big law uh, attorneys but would have hated being low paid criminal defense attorneys right like and and obviously vice versa so so in broad right, strokes absolutely it, it, it's almost like why this game would be called something like would you rather uh, as opposed to would every single human being rather and that's the point yeah um, so okay so to answer the question yes. uh, litigation You'd still go litigation. See, now this is getting into the conversation that I find interesting because obviously you did not like it. So I, I, you still would go there, though. Yeah. I mean, if I had to do it over again and if I had to do it over again and was forced to stay this time, uh, I, I think that I would have started off litigation still and then more directly and, and, with purp- and purposefully built myself into a kind of USA, uh, U.S. attorney escape hatch um i think that would have that would have worked for me and i would have taken all the good things about myself and turned them um into prosecutorial hellishness um for weak clients um for weak uh, uh victims and that would have been the story of me wow prosecution that that is certainly not the direction i would have would have thought this answer would have gone i feel like while I certainly enjoyed litigation, I feel like my temperament was probably better suited to transactional work in retrospect. I feel like that creativity that you mentioned earlier and being able to you know, work with people to get things done rather than work against them to stop things probably would have used a little bit more of where my head was at. But, you know, it was things I didn't necessarily know. Anyway. Okay, uh, now that I understand yeah. the game. Yes, uh, yes. What's the next question? Okay, this one's, this one's a little more... Here's an interesting one. Would you rather work in big law for – you had to have to be there for five years or work in a boutique, like a lower-paying boutique, for 10? And I'm saying this more on the grounds of, like, paying off loans. Like, you could you could get it if you just, like, work yourself at big law for five years, no breaks, working around the clock, or go to a boutique, maybe work a little less. I mean, boutiques are still heavy work, but – you'd have to be there for twice as long. And this is aimed more at you. Obviously, people who love law wouldn't care, but where would you? how would you like to handle that problem? I tend to take my uh, drugs all at once. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm a binger in that sense. And I, and I think certainly if I knew the, if, again, if you're forcing me and giving me the foreknowledge of how long it's going to take, I'll take the five really, really shitty uh, uh, mentally damaging years over the 10 less damaging, slow-acting chemotherapy existence of the boutique. Mm, interesting. I'd get, I'd get in, it'd be horrible, and I'd get out quicker, um, as opposed to having it be less damaging, but ultimately having to forfeit more of my life. Because from my perspective, you know, the most limited resource I have are, are, is my time on Earth. Um, and so I would want to get through that time in an in indentured servitude um, as quickly as possible, even if it was more intense and bad. Interesting, because five years is not like 
it, it's not a particularly short period of time. So that that's still a pretty major and grueling commitment. Joe, you only go yeah. into there are only two days of your life you're in big law. The day you get in and the day you get out. I, I, I don't. That's Avon Barksdale talking about prison right there. Right. Yeah. I don't necessarily know as though that analogy works quite exactly right as he would have wanted it here, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I, I, so I mean, you do boutique? I've worked in both, obviously, and I feel as though, uh, while I enjoyed both in different ways, I feel as though I probably would have taken the longer uh, my time at the boutique a little bit longer. I felt as though there was, certainly while I was not making as much money as some of my colleagues, I felt like I had more control over what I was doing. I felt more involved in what I was doing than in some of these larger firm structures where you're more of a cog in what's going on. So... I think I would I would rather be able to have more time and control of my life while on the uh, throughout the journey toward the end of my uh, debt than uh, by trying to get out of it as quickly as possible. I mean, quite frankly, having known you as a big law lawyer and as yeah. a boutique lawyer, I, I I'm surprised I was surprised when you quit. Like I was surprised yeah. when you wanted out. Like you you of of the people in our friend group and for those listening at home um Joe and I have known each other way back and we have a, a, well a, before a, above the law existed yeah um and and we know each other's friends mm-hmm. um of the people in our friend group I honestly felt like you carried you carried being a a corporate attorney um well right you carried it better than most of the people that we know well, that's a good thing, is, but that's a good question. When you say you were surprised I left, were you, you surprised I left Cleary or surprised that I left the law entirely? I was surprised you left the boutique. I was not surprised okay. you left Cleary. Right, right, right. Okay, that, that's that's fair. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, and I feel as though my decision to leave Lankler, Siffer & Wolf, which is a great firm that I was at for eight years, I guess. Wonderful place. But my decision to leave was more motivated by I'd reached kind of the end point of this question. I had, through my mix of big law and boutique work, I had paid off my loans. And I had reached a point where I had freedom of movement and decided that while I did not have any problems per se with working, I didn't necessarily want to do that forever. And the primary reason for me doing it was to clear out my debt, and I had, and so I started looking. But yeah, no, I mean, there were certainly benefits of it, and the reasons, you know, work that I enjoyed that I do miss from time to time. But yeah, no, I can do this now. You know, have (laughs) a game of Would You Rather on a Thursday afternoon while we record this, which is when we record, folks, so they... And, and, you know, just to, and to close the point, like, you know, I, I left before I paid off my debts. My, my theory was that I would go into big law and eat all the hours and, and pay off debts and then leave. Um, and I could not last uh, the five or really would have been six or seven years necessary uh, to pay off those debts. I, I am of the belief that people have a, a limited amount of hours um, that they can bill um, in big law. Um, everybody has their limit. Um, yeah. Some people's limits are much higher. Some people's limits are much ho- lower. But you have a certain number of hours that you can do, and and then you can't do it anymore. And I managed to use up my hours very quickly. Have you ever seen THX 1138, the George Lucas student film that he turned into his first like real movie? Oh yeah, I I, I have yeah. seen it. I don't. I'm not. I don't remember it. I, uh, the, it. the key to it from. So we talked about a lot. So I was an econ major uh, in undergrad. And so from an economics perspective, it was always a good 
pop culture reference because one of the subplots of this movie is that as the character is trying to escape, there's this timer running at all times. It just they occasionally cut to this timer as you know chase sequences happen or whatever, and it's never you know re- necessarily clear what that's doing, but it's it's calculate the totalitarian society is calculating the cost to them of recapturing this guy who's broken free. <laughs> and the ultimate end is he's like almost free, but they have caught him and they're reaching and about to grab him and pull him down. And the, the tick, they cut to the ticker and he just crosses a threshold and they're like, all right, nope, turn around. It, it, it is now too much. He is no longer worth it, even though you have him in your grasp. And it was kind of the, the good pop culture analogy to get over the kind of sunk cost fallacy that you have. But I think, I bring it up here because that was really where I got with my legal career, where I was I was now done with the money. And a lot of people pay off their debt and think, well, but I mean, what else am I going to do? And I was like, well, no, no, my, we have hit, we've hit the dollar sign. I know I could stay here, but we are now done. I, I, can, I can now go back to the headquarters. So that was how I took it. Yeah. So this is taking uh, a little bit longer than I thought it would on each of these, which is great. So uh, I have one more like law firmy one and one more law schooly one. I'm going to do the law school one, and maybe we'll revisit some of these law firm questions uh, on another time because we've been very law firm based so far. So would you rather? And obviously, you have no control over these things because you know your grades are what your grades are, but. Would you rather be the kind of student who gets all B pluses, or would you be would you take some Bs to trade off with getting A's in some classes? I As was, yeah, I was the B plus student, so mm-hmm. I I would take being that student, um, kind of every day and twice on Sundays. Yeah, the thing that I learned, um, and this might not be true for everybody, but it it was true for me, not just in college, but also in law, but not just in law school, but also in college. I learned pretty quickly that the extra effort it took to go from B plus to A was massive. Like it was just it was just massive, right? Like you the the level of expertise you needed to be able to bring in to the test or the paper or the take home was just a massive amount of work to get over that B plus to A minus or A hump. Mm. Whereas the effort it took to Get a B plus and not get a B, right? Is was 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 minimal. I mean, the difference between B plus and a B was just kind of like, were you sober um, when you took the damn test? And the the complete total lack of effort that it takes to get a C is just you feel embarrassed. Like you you have to like proactively go out of your way to think how am I going to see out on this class, right? Mm-hmm. So with that as my kind of like setup, getting the, the B to B plus consistently, like my transcript reads, blah, 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 Yeah. <laughs> was just, was just like, it was the perfect fusion of, from my perspective, doing the least amount of work while out without embarrassing my ancestors, without ever having to like really break a sweat for an unsure goal of getting a of getting an A. So I, I was I was B plus all the way the fuck down. See, um, interesting. Now partial part of that is because I early on decided that I didn't want to clerk. And I 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if I, I, I if I had everything to do over again. I don't know if I would have agreed with that decision. I, I think I um, coming into law school first person in my family to go to law school. Not a lot of friends um, or really any family members who had been through any kind of legal processes. I I think as a one else severely undervalued how resume life enhancing a high district court a, a good district court or even god forbid a supreme court clerkship um would be for a person's career and if i had really kind of known how important it was i might have been more of a striver and to strive that might have motivated me to do to at least attempt the extra work that would have been required um to to a out on a transcript but without that knowledge and without that motivation i mean bees up and down um Mm. that was clearly the right call for me yeah i I was kind of going with this question from the perspective of you got the same gpa either way but is it that it's all b pluses or is it there's an A and a B and some B plus, like such that it balances out uh, whether or not the distribution of the GPA matters. And I, I kind of think that, kind of think I would prefer, I, I would take some Bs to get some As. Uh, I just think that there's, even if it's not changing the GPA in any way, you I said think it, C's. No, I said B pluses, or would you take a B, some Bs to get As? Uh, my goal is to get yeah my goal is to get the same GPA but ask the question hey does it actually matter how these are distributed and obviously on the one end of the would you rather if it doesn't matter then just get all the B pluses and move on with life but if you think there's some value would you sacrifice kind of your studying for one class to drill down to get an A in another I feel like there was a there, there's a value to getting A's and some things just for the sake just for the sake of knowing like I, I know you know, it might, again, yeah it might feel bad to like get a B in which in law school, like you, I guess we should say this for any pre-law listeners, Bs are, you know, kind of the bottom of law school. It's really hard to get anything below that. But to get a few of those, but also then get an A in a course where you go, oh, well, then I guess that's the kind of lawyer I should be. You know, like there, there's some predictive value that can come from it and be like, oh, okay, now I know what I'm going to be. I feel like just the B plus all the time just delays the decision even further and puts you more at risk of falling accidentally into something you you don't really like, you know. I see. Okay, so I, yeah. I didn't misunderstand the question. Oh, fair enough. All right. I honestly like when you're talking about getting a C, like you're talking about such oh yeah such a level of like not caring and not working that. And, and again, I'm not I'm no like Protestant work ethic guy. I, I, I don't I don't mm-hmm. I, I don't believe in work for work's sake, right? So so I'm not that guy. But just like at some point, just like personal pride kind of kicks in and like to not have that to the extent that you can kind of really be in danger of getting a C, um, that that's hard for me to think through how that would ever be worth it. Oh, yeah. Um, if you're just talking about Bs versus, versus I, I see what you're saying more now. And yeah, okay. So, you know, my 1A was in criminal law and I thought okay. it was important to, sh- for my, just my personal like self-aggrandizement, it was important for me to know that I could do it. It was important for me to know that the extra work that it, I, I perceived that it would take to do it based on college was still true in law school. It was. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it was important for me, I thought, as a person who, you know, if you're, you're applying for, for law firm jobs after your 1L grades, I thought it was important for employers to sh- see that I could put an A on the board if I wanted right, to. Right, right, like, right. That, right. That, that's that, kind of what I was getting at, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It's, it, 
I, from that perspective, yes, I, I I see the value in your first year of at least of at least putting uh, you know they say in baseball you want to put a crooked number on the board you want to score more than one run in an inning mm-hmm. like uh, uh, um, there's a benefit and uh, I think for employers to at least see that you can put an angled grade um, on the go. transcript um, as opposed to a bubbly one. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and and that's the thing. Like your GPA in a pure transcript way, it's probably exactly the same, but. There's a value to, yeah, all right. So that was the other one I thought of. Uh, we've got a couple more that we can do later. Uh, this was a this was a good uh, good exercise. I kind of enjoyed playing out some of these concepts. If you all enjoyed it, and I know you do, you should give reviews to it because that helps the podcast move up the algorithms of all the podcast rating services and lets people know, like, hey, if you're searching for law, hell, this, this podcast talks about law. Um, which we do from time to time. You should be subscribed yourself so that you get every new episode when it comes out. Uh, that's an easy thing to do, and I won't insult your intelligence by assuming you don't know how to utilize your phones and computers to do that. You should be reading AboveTheLaw.com, which is where we you will find our stylings all the time. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Patrice. He's at L-E-N-Y-C. You should listen to the other offerings of the Legal Talk Network. There's a whole whole range of podcasts out there to be uh, listening in on. You should be listening to The Jabot, which is uh, the other Above the Law-related podcast. And with all of that, I think we're done. We will... Um, yeah, hey, yeah. Apparently, apparently we have an open sponsorship slot, so oh, somebody yes, yes. step up yeah. and come on down. It's an excellent point. If people want to sponsor the show, you should join in. You should let us know. All right. Cool. I will... Uh, We'll talk to folks later. Peace. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.